Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Hi, good morning, everybody. So good to see you guys. I say see you guys. I can't see anything. These lights are in my face. I just assume you guys are out there, though. Uh, yeah, we are. Okay. Hey, Amen. Please don't leave. Uh, <laughs> Josh said hope for a short sermon. Uh, it's, it's not going to happen today. I'm sorry. Uh, we are in Second John, uh, as Michael so eloquently read to us. I mean, come on. Let's give another hand to Michael. We could listen to that accent all day. That was so good. Uh, We're in this series called It's Complicated, and uh, at the beginning of this series, the first three parts, we're looking at relationships with others and how uh, the Word of God might guide us, give us wisdom and how we relate to husbands and how we relate to siblings, how we relate to co-workers and people in our life. And as we end this series, I've really just been trying to, to pound home the message to you of what it looks like to have a relationship with God, our vertical relationship. Uh, the way we relate to God. And what we said last week was the way that we ultimately relate to God, the way we ought to relate to God is as sons or daughters of God. And if we do that, it changes everything about the way that we view God. Now, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump in uh, to probably one of the, the, the most hard parts of Christianity to uh, actually live out. There's a tension in our faith, the tension of grace and truth. And last week we looked at the grace part. This week we're going to look at the truth part. And uh, it is something we have to balance. And I think a lot of it comes down to the way that we view God. And so I just want to start by reading verses 7 uh, down through verse 10, because this is the point of John writing the letter. And then I'll pray for us and we'll jump in. Verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And this is what we looked at last week. When somebody tries to twist the Christian faith, they do two things. They try to take you away from the works of Jesus, and they try to take you away from the words of Jesus. As Christians, our faith, our hope, is based in the fact that Jesus did what he said he did. Our total faith is in nothing that we do and everything that Jesus does. And so people come saying, Jesus didn't really come and do those things. It says, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so you don't lose what we worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching, and here's the second part, the words of Jesus. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching, but goes beyond, it does not, does not have God. It goes beyond it, goes beyond his teaching. Some uh, translations say progress beyond God's commands. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you, and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. We talked about last week, the home would have been kind of like what we're doing here. So he's not saying don't bring non-Christians into your house and slam the door on their face. Don't do that, please. Uh, What he's saying is don't allow these people to be the teachers of the church. Like you can come visit, but you're not allowed to have the microphone. You're not allowed to talk if you're not talking these things. We're built upon the work of Jesus and we're guided by the words of Jesus. It says, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. So here's the part where I think a lot of people. Last week we said that 65% of people, when they were asked to find the Christian life, as the Christian life is about trying really hard to follow God's commands. This is where I think a lot of us fall off into the ditch and we begin to believe this. As we look at the commands of Jesus, we look at the commands of God, we say, how could I ever measure up to these things? And we try and we strive really hard to measure up to the commands of Jesus. And for a lot of us, it feels like a burden, which is weird because in Matthew 11, Jesus says, if you're tired and restless, come to me. 
It says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But some of us, we've been in a, a religious setting like this for a long time, and it doesn't feel light, it doesn't feel easy, it feels very hard. And it feels like we can never measure up. Uh, John, in, in his other letter, 1 John, he says that all of the commands of God are not, they do not come with a burden. They're not a burden for us to carry. Which, again, a lot of us who grew up in the church were like, but that doesn't feel like it's true. And I think the reason why it doesn't feel like it's true is because we have a bad view of who God is. We're not viewing him as a father. We're viewing him as something else. And that's what I want to look at. I want to go back to verse 2 for the rest of our time today and look at the wrong ways we can view God and how it messes everything else up for us. And my prayer is you would begin to see how the commands of God could be something, you could start to see them as something that is for you, something that is good, something that God is offering you as a grace, not as something that he's trying to take from you. So let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, as I come to you, I I need you. Uh, Lord, as I open your word and I preach to your people. uh, Lord, I'm a a sinful man. I'm a man who doesn't always walk in the truth. God, and I I know that the people come today not to hear my words, not to hear human wisdom, but they want to hear your wisdom. God, so I, I pray that you would help me preach. Lord, I pray that you'd highlight anything I say that is true. God, I pray that you would blow away anything I say that's not true, like the chaff in the wind. God, I pray for my hearers. I pray that they would do the hard work of listening well. And Lord, that we would be able to take maybe an aspect of our relationship with you that's complicated and make it simple. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 4, uh, John says this. He said, I was very glad to find some of your children. Remember, that word children is code for members of the church. So God's children, a.k.a. you guys. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. Which shows me two things. Number one, it shows me that I can know the truth and not walk in the truth. Has anybody known what you're supposed to do and not done it? That's what no, none of you guys have. You guys are awesome. Not a single hand raised. Like, he can't see us. I can see shadows, okay? Uh, no, we all have. We, we know what to do, but we don't actually do it. And then the second thing I notice is this. It's, it's that even though they're not walking in the truth, they're still called children. They're still called by, they, they still get to call God their father, which for a lot of us changes the way we view God right there in and of itself. And it starts with the first word in verse three. This is the things we've received from Jesus. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And if you don't understand the first two, then you'll never understand verse four. Remember grace, we said last week, it it, it means divine favor that we did not earn. I I said last week, it's, it's like when I go to the race with my grandpa Jim, because they believe in Jim, because they know Jim, because of what Jim has done, I get to go places I shouldn't get to go. He's an employee. He has earned the right to go places. And yet when I'm with him, I have not earned the right. They don't even know me. And yet they let me walk in places with him. Why? Because of his grace. (laughs) And in the same way, it's true with God, the father, your sonship, your daughtership with God. And I pray you guys could get this has nothing to do with what you're doing. It has everything to do with what Jesus already did. And people who don't understand this view God not as a father, they view him as a vending machine. Uh, A vending machine God is someone that, you know, I do the right things and I should get the right things back. And if I do the wrong things, I'm going to get the wrong things back. And if you have this view of God, you're going to end up on one of two paths. If you view God as a vending machine, you're either going to become judgmental or you're going to become really frustrated. 
See, you, you become frustrated because you say, Blake, you know, I don't get it. I've been giving money to the church. I've been going to the church service. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible and my life's still falling apart. Like I, I'm doing all the right things. I'm pressing all the right buttons on the vending machine and I want a snicker, but I got a carrot instead, <laughs> which is awful. Carrots are from hell. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Second opinions. <laughs> but come on. You've met people who experience this. You might be a person who's experienced this, right? It's like, man, I'm, I'm trying to turn my life around and it's like God's not helping me at all. And see, if, if you're viewing your life this way, you're not understanding grace. But what you're doing is you're thinking God's a vending machine and I have to earn my own access to God. By what I do determines whether God loves me or not loves me. And if you're doing all the right things and it's not working out, you're gonna get frustrated. The other side of this, and this is where religious people pop up, is you get judgmental. See, your life is working. Things are going right. And you think it's not because God has blessed you. You think it's because of what you're doing. I read my Bible and look at my life. Look, my business is successful. I give a tenth of my money to the, to the Lord's work. And so he blesses the rest of my money. This is like a huge prosperity teaching. You give money and then God will give you money back, which is just not a teaching of Jesus. And by the way, if you ever send a prosperity teacher money, uh, I'll tell you who's going to get rich. It won't be you. It'll be them. They're the ones that are rich. The rest of us are not because that's not the purpose of the tithe. And yet that's what some people think. You know, I give money and then I ought to get it back. And when you actually get it back, when you are blessed, then what begins to happen is you begin to look down on other people. Man, if they could just get their life together like I got my life together, they wouldn't be going through all of this. And, and if I'm like that, then who's the savior? Is it Jesus or is it me? It's me. I'm pressing the right buttons on the vending machine. I'm getting out what I'm supposed to get out. And if you would press the buttons I pressed, then you would get it too. See, grace isn't like this. And you say, Blake, well, then why do I suffer? Why, why, why would I even pray if it doesn't work? And the answer is because God's your father and he loves you. And here's what God primarily wants for you. And it's the same thing your earthly father wanted for you if he was a good father. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. And so sometimes God says no to certain things because he's interested in your maturity. Like when I was a kid, I would eat Twinkies every night for dinner. But my parents said no because they loved me. <laughs> I had to hear the words no sometimes. And by the way, I don't just call my earthly father when I want something. If you just call your dad when you want something, you don't have much of a relationship. Prayer is not just about getting what I want. Reading my Bible is not just about getting what I want. It's primarily about having a relationship with my Father. See, I pray not to get things. I, I pray so that I can connect with God, so that I can know my Father. I read my Bible not so that I can get things or have the wisdom to you know, overcome this thing, which is like what a lot of us do. We don't read the Bible unless it's like last minute and our life's falling apart. And we're like, okay, God, give me something good. And we just open the Bible at a random place, put our finger down. You know, it's like crush the teeth of the wicked. Okay, trying again. God, give me something good. Judas hung himself. Okay, trying again. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been there before. Because I want something. I don't actually want relationship with my father. I want my father to give me things. So if you don't understand grace, then God's commands will not make sense to you. Now, the second one is mercy. It says, Jesus, through Jesus, we have grace, we have divine favor. And then the second one is, is this, we, we have mercy. And uh, mercy, we said, is when somebody has the right to punish you, but they don't do it. And Jesus come as God uh, in flesh, but he also came as fully human. And the Bible says this amazing thing. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us. I mean, Jesus took all of my sin, all of it. And if you're a Christian, you trust in Jesus, all of your sin upon himself in that moment on the cross. And he died for it. He cried out, it is finished. You know what finished means? Done. It's over. He didn't just take my sins that I've already confessed and and asked for forgiveness of. He already knew all of the sins I would commit. And he took all of them on himself. And he said, I give you mercy. And if you don't understand this, then the way you view God is not as a father. You view him as what I like to call the swivel chair God. You ever seen a swivel chair? Spins around. See, a lot of us think that um, God loves us when we're doing the right things. So when, when I'm, you know, I'm reading my Bible and I'm loving my wife and you know, I haven't looked at the things I shouldn't look at or done the things I shouldn't do, then God's like, oh, I love you. I'm so proud of you, son. But then the moment I mess up, what does God do? He turns his swivel chair around. He gets mad at me. And then you know, I do the right things for a while. And he looks around and he said, are you ready? Are you ready to be back in a relationship with me, you ungrateful kid? And he turns back around for a while. And see, if you, if you believe this, then it's really, really hard to relate with God because you feel a burden. Every time you look at the commands of God, it's yet another thing you have to do to measure up. But if I truly believe in mercy, if I believe that my father loves me no matter what, and that, yes, there's some times where, you know, it, it's not what God wants, but he doesn't want it because he loves me. You know, it's like, parents, you put a fence in the backyard, not because you hate your kids, but because you love them. Like, you don't want your toddlers running out in the street. To your toddler, it might seem like a limitation, but you know it's an act of love. And so when you step out, when your toddler steps outside the fence and you get on to them, you're not getting on to them because you're mad at them. Like, look at this great fence I built. You know, you should stay inside the fence because I built this awesome fence for us. No, it's like, I want you inside because I want you safe. Uh, It's kind of like this. God didn't make commands and then go, I need some people to fill these things. He made people and then he gave some commands to protect us. And if we get the order wrong, then this whole thing is messed up. If we don't understand that God is a God of mercy. And so let me ask you this, because this is how I know if you get this or you don't get this. When you mess up royally, what is your first response? See, because a Christian who understands when they fall short of the commands of God, and we all do, a Christian who understands what Jesus did for them doesn't turn to saying, oh God, I'm so sorry, and, and guilt and shame heaped upon them. What a Christian turns to is, God, thank you. You are so good. This past week in small groups, we, we did a, a kind of an accountability thing. And uh, we were talking about what we should do to love somebody like Jesus loved us. And at the end of it, uh, it was really hard. I've, I've been in two different groups. It's really hard for both groups to come up with something. Uh, it was not hard to come up with a person we didn't like. You know, <laughs> it's like that part was easy. I got a list. Um, in fact, some people said, how do I narrow it down to one person I don't like? Uh, and I said, just pick one. And then we asked a really hard question of, okay, now what can you do this week to practically love that person? And it was like pulling teeth. To get people to come up with something. Uh, and it, it was hard for me as the pastor. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Man, that's tough. And at the end of that, when we say, now think about how Jesus has loved us. How Jesus has come to lay down his life for his enemies. I've sinned against God and I continue to sin against God, which is a slap in the face of the Savior of this world. And yet he loves me all the more. And I say, now... Think about how difficult it is for us to come up with one thing to love people. And what can happen in that moment is a lot of people felt like this big. It made you feel small. It made you feel like, wow, I'm a worm. (laughs) What it really should do, though, is make us worship. 
I don't turn to sorrow when I mess up. I turn to gratitude. God, how can you love me so much? This is what mercy will do. And that's ultimately what the, the final thing is. So you either view God as, um, you know, he's, he's the vending machine God or uh, the God we just talked about, the swivel chair God, or he's the father God. And this completely changes the way we view all of Jesus's commands. Uh, in fact, the last thing is this. Through Jesus, we've got grace, mercy, and we got peace. We have peace, which is relational wholeness with God. Peace there is not like peace of mind. It's wholeness. It's oneness with God. And every father wants two things. I said, number one, he wants you to grow up. You, know, you, you don't want your kid living with you until they're 30 years old. It's like, grow up, get your own. <laughs> you got to be an adult. Number two, though, is parents want their kids to love each other. Like, you, you, you can't, this is what, it blows my mind when people say to me things like, you know, I love God, but I hate the church. And I understand where they're coming from. What they mean is they hate organized religion, uh, probably because they've been hurt at some point in time. But the church is not a place, it's not an event, it's God's people. It's God's children. And so you cannot say, I love God, and then hate the people. In fact, John says, how can you say you love God while you hate your brother or sister? You've never seen God, but you've seen your brother and sister. And so if you don't love them, then there's no way you could possibly love God. And see, this is what God ultimately wants for us. All of his commands, every single one of them point to this, that we would love one another. In fact, that's exactly what John says. Verse 5. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love. That we walk according to his commands. And this is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Now, if I was there, I would say, John, dude, you're talking in circular reasoning. Okay, this is, you got to clear this up for me. So what John says is, we got to be people of love. So how do we love? Well, we follow his commands. And what is his command? His command is to love. Like, wait, so to love, I've got to follow the commands. And the command is to love. Like, how, can you make this a little bit more practical for me? And uh, see, what we actually want as humans, we crave legalism. We crave, give me the rules. Tell me what I need to do. See, we think we want grace, but what we really want is we want a list. We want a checklist. If I do these things, I know I'm a good Christian. Seven steps to the perfect Christian life. I could write that book and people would buy it. Because that's what we want. This is why fundamentalists exist. And yet Jesus says, I've come not to give you another command of laws. In fact, in John, the Gospel of John, it says Moses came carrying the law. I've come with grace and truth. And and, and Jesus, the reason he gives us the Holy Spirit is so that the commands of God would be written on our hearts. That we would become the type of people who love others the way Jesus has loved us. See, as Christians, we overcomplicate it. Jesus said, you got all those commands, I'm going to narrow it down to two for you. I just want you to follow these two things. Love God and love people. You know why we complicate that? Because that's hard. (laughs) That is so difficult for us to love God and to love people. And yet Jesus says, this is what I want for you. I want you to walk in love with one another. And, And the goal of the Christian life is that God would make you to such a person that you could have what you want. Now you might say, Blake, you messed up there. You meant to say that I would want what he wants. And I'd say, no, no, no. He wants you to get to the point where you can have what you want. Because the whole point of the Christian life is forming you to be like Jesus Christ. To have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. In other words, I think the way Jesus thinks. I desire the things Jesus desires. I want to spend my money the way Jesus would spend his money if he were me. 
This is the goal of the Christian life, that you would grow up to the point where you were so in line with what Jesus wanted, you were so in line with who Jesus was, that you would begin to live like Jesus would if he were you. Now, this is a 10,000-year project. Like, into eternity, it's going to take time for you to become like Jesus. But as a Christian right now, this is why we suffer. We suffer because our sufferings, James tells us, makes us more like Christ. This is why we pray. We pray not to get things. We pray to become more like Jesus. We follow the commands of God to become more like Jesus because then what happens is we begin to glorify God naturally. So I could stand up here and tell you all the commands of God, but what you have to understand is it ultimately starts with being rooted in the gospel message of Jesus. Living out of the truth I've just preached because as you become more like Jesus, the commands will naturally begin to happen. And yet what will always happen also in the church is that there will be people who come along with new teachings beyond what Jesus said. And guess what we will always do? We will always say, yes, please, because we always look for a way to make our sin okay. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. When, when, people, uh, when people come up with a new teaching of Jesus, I've noticed that it never makes it harder to look like Jesus. It always makes it easier. <laughs> it's like, you know what? You can actually you can have sexual relations with whoever you want. It's like, well, that, that makes it very convenient for me. Uh, but is that what Jesus actually says? And uh, we often act like, you know, the commands of Jesus are kind of archaic and, you know, as a church, we got to move on from them. But that's just not true. The commands of Jesus have always, 100% of time throughout all of history, they have always been countercultural. That's the whole point of them. We're supposed to stand out. And at times, culture will agree with some of the things Jesus says and completely disagree with other things. And if we're driven by culture, then we'll be the same thing. If we're driven by culture, then we'll like some of what Jesus says and we'll throw away what we don't like. In fact, in the early church, scholars tell us there was four things that Jesus followers were known for. And they're the four things that Jesus followers today ought to be known for. Uh, Number one, uh, Jesus followers had a different view on money and sexuality. This is number one and number two. Uh, Tim Keller says that the Christian culture stood out because the pagans, the non-believers in Jesus at the time... Uh, they had sex with whoever they wanted and they gave their money to nobody. And the Christians come along and they have sex with practically nobody and yet they give all their money away to everybody. Completely countercultural. And then the last two are this. The, the Christian church was known for their helping of the vulnerable. They, they helped those who were the outcast of society. Uh, in that culture, uh, kids were not valued like they're valued in ours. Sometimes kids become idols in our culture. But in this culture, kids were literally, if you didn't want it, you just threw it out and it would die of exposure. Uh, And the Christians were one of the first people to come around and grab these babies and they would raise babies that were not their own because they cared for the vulnerable. Uh, And then the last one is unity. Uh, The Christian church was like a, a huge mess of every kind of race that you can imagine. And in this time, it was totally odd to be with people that were not like you. Like the Romans hung out with the Romans, the Jews hung out with the Jews, and the Christians said, we're all united in Christ Jesus. These things were weird, and they're weird now. Now, our culture, like I said, it it goes in times where it agrees with some of what Jesus says, and then the pendulum will swing, but it never agrees fully. So like in our culture, there was a time in the past where uh, the the traditional marriage values were popular in, in the culture. Like people didn't have any problem with the fact that it was one man and one woman for the rest of your life. That has kind of went away from culture. But what has come into culture that wasn't there then is the idea of unity. Now now we are supposed to be completely unified. And back in the time where there was traditional marriage, unity wasn't really a valued thing. We had segregated churches, which should have never, ever happened. 
And yet it did. And see, if you are here today and you're hearing the teachings of Jesus, you will be offended. Like, he offends everybody. Do you realize that? Like, you, I, I don't really like what Jesus says about sex. Okay, just wait till we get to unity. You'll like that part. And if you like the part about unity, you're probably not going to like the part about what he says about money. Most people don't like the whole give all your money away part. Uh, but this is what Jesus calls us to. And uh, Josh, if you guys want to go ahead and come up. I'm going to conclude here. Uh, if you go out and you try to live these commands, you're going to fall short. See, what made the early church be able to live this way is because they had experienced the love themselves. In fact, in 1 John, uh, John says, we love not because we love, but we love because God has first loved us. The love of God had so transformed them. See, the reason they were able to be so generous with their money is because Jesus came and he poured out his life for them. In fact, in uh, 1 Corinthians, it says he was rich. How many of you know being the king of the universe is probably a pretty wealthy gig? Like Jesus ruled everything. All of it was his. And when he came, he came as a poor carpenter. He lived his entire life in poverty. Why? So that we might be rich like him one day. You ever feel poor? Just know that it's all yours. <laughs> uh, it's a great story of a, of a kid who was a poor kid. And uh, he was hanging out with one of his rich friends and they were walking around the town and uh, the rich kid was like, my dad owns this, my dad owns this, my dad owns this. And they get to the to kind of the top of the, the valley, the top of the hill. And he said, my dad owns all of this. The poor kid said that. Christians, that's the view we have. We've been made rich in Christ Jesus. And so we can pour out our wealth on others as he did for us. When you think about marriage and sexuality, the Christian doesn't view it as a route to personal fulfillment. It has nothing to do with what I want or don't want. We view it as a picture of the way Jesus has loved us. An imperfect picture. Just as Jesus poured out his life for his bride, the church, I pour out my life for my bride, Taylor. And she pours out her life for me. And we mess up. Mainly me. <laughs> but even in the mess ups, it's an opportunity for me to rejoice in what Jesus has done for me. It's an opportunity for me to show grace and her to show grace back. And it's supposed to be weird. People are supposed to look at us and say, it's unnatural to try to be with one person for your whole life. Because when they say that, we're supposed to say yes. And all the more unnatural is that the Savior of this world would remain faithful to me, an unfaithful follower. And when it comes to helping the vulnerable, the Bible teaches when we were at our lowest, Jesus came and he died for us. When it comes to unity, Jesus says, we are all one. Whether you are rich or you are poor, you can come to the table of Jesus. Whether you are black, white, Asian, whatever you are, you get to come to the table of Jesus. And we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all beggars hoping for his grace. Friends, do you view God in this way? Or do you view him as somebody who's waiting to get you? He's the swivel chair God. Do, do, you, do you view God as the vending machine where I put the right things in, I get the right things back? Or do you view him as a father who wants you to grow up, who's given you all the grace, mercy, and peace you could ever need? And there's nothing that could ever take it away. I hope it's the latter. Because if you go through this life trying to follow the commands of God, without understanding the grace of God and how it empowers it, then you will be one of the 65% of the people who say the Christian life is about trying really hard to follow God's commands. And this life will feel like a total burden to you. My prayer for you is that you'd experience life, just as we said last week, 
Not of somebody trying really hard to follow God's commands, but simply trusting that what Jesus did for you is true. And your response to that truth is to learn to live as a loved child of God. Friends, close your eyes, bow your heads. Father, I pray that your love would transform us. God, I pray that we wouldn't leave here trying harder, but we would leave here believing better. Believing, God, that your grace counts for us, that we have divine favor no matter what we've done. Not based upon us, but based upon the life of Jesus. God, I pray that we would live here knowing that we don't have to earn mercy, but we already have it. God, our guilt and our shame is not something we have to carry around because you died for it already. And on the cross, you said it is finished. And God, I pray that out of our peace with you, we would pursue peace with one another. God, that we would love one another in such a way that the world would demand an explanation of us. That we would love our wives and we would love our children in such a way that the world says, why do you do that? So that we can point them back to you. Right now, friends, with your eyes closed, head bowed, just take about 20 seconds and say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey all that you've commanded us. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.